0: T.G. Hi, how are you? And thank you for being a participant of uh, this program. You know, if we look at uh, your listed entities uh, and versus your unlisted entities, which of the two groups have been a standout uh, in how the businesses have coped with the pandemic?
1: T.G. Well, thank you all. Thanks and and, and thanks. Very happy to be here. And hi, Alex as well. Uh, to your question. Uh, you know, a bulk of our values in the list of equities uh, and, and what, are ve- what we consider very core to our being. Obviously, we started as a real estate company, Ayala Land, you've got Globe and you've got BPI, and, and we like to think of these three uh, core as pillars of the Philippine economy and the Philippine society. Obviously, uh, they've impacted society greatly, they're drivers of the economy, and they're drivers of, of our value. Uh, then you look at other companies uh, that are both listed and unlisted. You've got Manila Water, which provides you know water is, owns a water concession to half of Metro Manila and has water services for for many other places in the Philippines. Again, touching a lot of lives. And then you've got and I'll, I'll go through them in, in size. Uh, AC Energy uh, does you know uh, is probably I would say today the fourth uh, largest uh, electricity generator in the country today, uh, if you measure by attributable yep. capacity. Uh, and that's a business that we did not have until 2011. So it's something that we decided we wanted to enter and we put a lot of capital to it and a lot of work. And I'm and, and happy to say that today, its performance is, is, is meeting our expectations and actually exceeding our expectations. And we've got a lot more ambitions for that. Then we've got other businesses, for example, that we have we've entered into of late uh, because we saw that there was a need for the country. And, and this goes to sort of the business philosophy of the Ayala Group. Uh, for for you know, over a century, it's been about building businesses that change lives, that uh, you know, there is a social impact. And in 2011, along with Energy, we decided uh, that uh, we had to look at things like education and healthcare and these two businesses, we actually, you know, began putting capital in maybe 2014 or 2015. Right. Uh, they're still small today, uh, and you know, to be quite frank, uh, they're businesses that quite haven't met our expectations at the start. But we continue to work at them because we believe there is a compelling need, uh, both on the affordability side and the accessibility side. Right. So. Right. That's, that's the nature of the way we build business. you got to find a need uh, that changes lives, and we got to find a business that we believe we have an innate advantage, or we can bring something within the Ayala group that gives us an advantage to do that, and then build that business in a different
0: format, in a different way. Right. You know, with property and banking businesses accounting for 60% of your earnings, and probably about 70% of your net asset to value. My first question to you then, is the worst over in your opinion?
1: Uh, is it over? No, I don't think it's over. <laughs> I think we're in it, right? Uh, I think until you see clear signs of this pandemic lifting of uh, people beginning to feel safe about going out, of economic activity beginning to resume, I think you'll, you'll see challenges uh, in these two sectors. Uh, clearly very different uh, challenges so for example in real estate the challenge is now yeah. right you are seeing that uh, construction cannot take place uh, because you need to be concerned about the safety of, of the construction workers uh, real estate demand has softened because people are you know not as not as confident about their futures and therefore uh, reservations and sales have slowed down and then you know uh, thirty five of our business is recurring income through our malls and resorts. And and those have been practically shut down, right? And while it's so nice to say, look, there's a contract between ourselves and our tenants, uh, we understand that in this crisis, the only way the economy will bounce back is if we all work together. And and that's why very early on, uh, Bobby D and his management team at Ayala Land said, we've got to take care of our tenants at the malls and then did this, you know, basically uh, rental waivers, no rent because the mall was closed, right? It's no one's fault. It's not the tenant's fault. It's not, it's not, it's not the mall's fault that it's closed. It's, it's just something, you know, that happened. And therefore we're going to have to eat some of it. And we basically said to our, our tenants, no rent. If you can't operate, how can we charge rent? Because, we understand they've got to pay their employees, right? So we, we all have to bear a little pain. So that's the pain we're going through now. And until you see this pandemic and you see economic activity rise, we're in the worst of it. So we're not, we're in it. In the banking sector, um, obviously the bank's business is, is credit driven, it, it, you know, it's intermediation. And what you're seeing is a fear and probably a well-founded fear that because the economy will go through a downturn, uh, the loan book will you know, not, will, will have more losses than during a normal time. And therefore, banks are taking this precaution out of provisioning. So uh, you're provisioning for bad loans, but depending on how deep uh, the economy's downturn is, we just have to manage the loan book. We have to work with clients and be very transparent. And we hope our clients are transparent with us that mm-hmm. if you have a problem servicing your loans, let's work at it, right? If, if there certainly is no way for clients to be able to pay their loans, then we're just going to have to take the hard pain and 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 do what's necessary. But if we believe that the businesses are viable and there is light at the end of the tunnel, we'll work with them to restructure and to defer payments. Uh, but the banking sector, I think you'll still see worse coming going forward.
0: Yeah, Gigi, actually, we've heard you say the word uh, twice uh, just over the last uh, few minutes. That means- Basically, sharing the pain with uh, your clients. In fact, Alex was just having a discussion with his uh, analyst in the uh, morning uh, about uh, you know uh, how how long can help be given to to clients, especially in your property
2: business. Alex, would you like to share
0: that question with the uh, crowd?
2: Uh, sure. Yes. Uh, well, anyway, TJ, I just wanted to get your opinion. I know it's been challenging for the malls. Uh, mall revenues are down forty three percent year near foot traffic uh, about twenty percent pre COVID. Do you think that uh, consumer behavior has changed permanently, or is there a, ch- a chance to revert back to the pre-COVID days?
1: Um, no, I think it's changed permanently. Uh, to be to be honest, I think when people have realized, like myself, how easy it is, right, uh, uh, to to purchase uh, online. Uh, I, I was one, I, I believe i I was one of the first older adopters to this but uh, today I am just buying everything online. Uh, I do enjoy going to the malls, I do enjoy walking around uh, but I think the convenience of e-commerce has clearly made its mark and has shown its, its viability to a lot of people. There is a little difference in the Philippines because the malls spend, still are a, a, social, uh, mm. provide a, a social function given the fact that we, we do not really have open spaces uh, so I think there is, there is a reason for being for the malls, but I think the, the configuration and the business models of malls uh, has to be quickly adjusted, you know, rethought right. and adjusted because do, do, do merchants need larger spaces? I think they probably need smaller spaces, right? Uh, and, and therefore, does a huge mall make a lot of sense if, if people have smaller spaces? Because I, I, I can see the day where the malls are just display areas and fulfillment uh, takes place out of a a warehouse in a cheaper area. So today your merchant in a mall has, you know, probably half his space uh, display and customer. And then the back half of that is, is, is his storage space for his inventory. Right. I can see that basically that storage space going to one central warehouse and fulfill. I mean, I don't necessarily have to walk into a store and walk out with something, you know, as long as I know what it is, if, If it actually can beat me to my home, I'd be very happy.
0: (laughs) Actually, TJ, you spend a fair bit of time in the U.S. and I'm sure you're very familiar with some of the trends with uh, malls and shopping centers uh, that is going on over there. So there's basically a polarization uh, in in terms of two clusters, right? So you get essentially the omni-channeling and the luxury in one cluster and then Mm -hmm. convenience in the other cluster. Uh, And of course, COVID kind of like catalyzed this uh, this uh, trend whereby the shopping mall operators, because of the death and, you know, uh, uh, some of these like major department stores that are going out of business, they're going direct to the Amazons of the world to mm-hmm. basically get them as anchor tenants. Right, uh, and of course, this is as you rightfully pointed out. It's just a trend that is uh, that was started with online shopping, but COVID has just basically accelerated this push altogether. Do you see this as the future kind of shopping mall for uh, this concept for Philippines? Yeah, one of
1: the things that we toss around a lot and think about is the concept of instant fulfillment. Instant. Right? Hmm. Yeah, I mean. We get it with food today, right? We get it with food today. If you want your Shake Shack, you'll have it in 30 minutes uh, within the area, right? And and yet, we're happy to wait five days, six days for something we order on Lazada, right? And why should that be, right? And and therefore, one of the things that we think about is, is there a role for a mall uh, to provide that instant uh, the instant gratification. So if I go and need you know, this shoe of a certain size and a certain brand, can I, can I order it online and know it will be in my house in the next hour? Wow. And, and, and I think that's very doable. I think that's very doable. And, and you're, you're beginning to see it today. I, I, I don't know. But uh, you know, if, I need my, if I need my sausages, because I've run out of sausage, uh, there's, a, there's a Viber group that gets it to me within the hour, right? Uh, so it's just, I think, expanding that. And I believe a mall has a role to play in that, in, in, you know, in, in uh, aggregating the stores, uh, making it efficient so that you know, the systems and the, the labor and the people that allow that to happen can be efficient, right? And then you need to work with a logistics provider uh, that isn't necessarily dedicated to a store, but dedicated to a community or a location. Right? Okay. And therefore, if I, need to, if, I need, you know, if I need medicine and I need my shoes and my wife needs her bed sheets right, from three different stores at Ayala Malls, we should be able to do that
0: in one blow and have all those three goods in my house in two hours. Wow. Uh, what can you tell us about your recent A-REIT uh, spin-off and uh, essentially what your capital recycling strategy is, just, you know, basically honing on the BPO market?
1: Yeah, uh, I think that in the A-REIT, I think we're, we're extremely happy with the way it's turned out. Uh, clearly, it, it's a new product for the country. Uh, and we're very grateful for the support that the DOF threw in to resolve all the issues at the start of the year. Um, I, I think people don't really understand the REIT structure yet in the Philippines, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's the first it's, one, right? Yes. It's the first one. Uh, but we're committed to it. We think it's a, it's a, it's a natural way for, for a real estate company like Ayala Land to be no capital. Uh, we certainly have a track record of building projects and managing projects. Uh, uh, and and therefore, as, those, as these projects, what I would call mature or fill, it's just natural that you put it in a REIT and take the capital so you can build new projects. The REIT structure also gives us the ability to raise capital at the REIT level uh, to buy buildings that aren't necessarily built by Ayala, but that can be managed by Ayala uh, and transformed to the Ayala. So it allows the REIT to grow much faster, right? Rather than looking for looking just for buildings that are built by Ayala from ground up. We can go out and look for quality buildings that can then be managed the Ayala Way to the Ayala So it's a good way uh, to recycle capital. I think we will continue to do that and I think uh, the the people at AREIT and at Ayala Land continue to look for uh, projects uh, to to put into the REIT structures.
2: I just wanted to ask this question PG, uh, given that we understand Ayala Land uh, does not plan to launch any new projects for the remainder of the year Does the second quarter property pre-sales number suggest any long-term deviation regarding uh, your assumptions in the shape of the property cycle?
1: I think the decision to say that we won't launch any new projects this year is driven by the fact that uh, we forecasted that sales would be weak throughout this crisis. Uh, To be honest, we are pleasantly surprised at the relative strength, and I'll be very careful, relative strength Right. Uh, what we had expected, um, I, as I understand now, we're about 70% of pre-COVID levels uh, are reservation sales. So, you know, it's not as bad as we thought. Uh, but the decision to not launch any new project is driven by the fact that as, as the sales reservations are going to be slower than we thought, your inventory levels then naturally rise, right? And what we want to do is make sure that Ayala land uh, conserves its cash uh and ends the year with you know no incremental debt compared to last year. And, you know the, the philosophy we have is uh, at this point in time uh, liquidity is key cash conservation uh should be the mantra uh even if it means uh PL uh has to take a hit. Right? PNL is an accounting issue. Um but cash conservation is what gets you through right sure. uh and and we recognize that uh our biggest driver of cash in land, in, in Ayan land, which is the rentals, it has actually fallen off the cliff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. As Seng said, the, one, the only thing that's bringing in regular cash is, is the office leasing portfolio.
0: TG, maybe we should uh, spend some time on uh, BPI in the banks uh, and your banking business uh, right now. Your loan mix uh, is uh, more skewed towards uh, corporate loans rather than SME loans. Do you see yourself as better off uh, in this cycle as opposed to your peers? Uh, we we'll actually concentrate a little bit more in the SME sector. Uh,
1: unfortunately, that's true, right? Uh, and it's ironic because um, pre-pre-pre-COVID levels, um, everyone was saying that BPI had a had a loan book that was not optimal, right? That we should have more SME and that we should have more consumer. And I'll be the first to say I completely agree with that, right? Uh, that uh, we, we hadn't built up that side of the portfolio as fast as our competition had. And for two years, we had an issue with uh, the growth in the consumer side. We, up, we retrofitted our systems. Uh, we had to put in a new system in place. And this was the year that it was supposed to grow uh, quickly. Now, fast forward to COVID. Um, our loan book is still primarily top corporate and multinational. Uh, relative to our, our competition, SME and consumer is smaller, uh, and that will stand us in better stead this year. I wouldn't say in good stead, I'd say relatively better than others, but we're, we're all going to take these. We're all going to have problem loans. Got it.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, TG, uh, still with the uh, SMEs, uh, we just wanted to check with you. Does BPI have a plan in helping SMEs to bounce back in this difficult time? And you think how long can you afford to help SMEs if, let's say, the e- ECQ will be extended?
1: Yeah, no, obviously, we, we work uh, with with our clients. Uh, obviously, we, we follow what the government has mandated, right? The uh, the uh, forbearance on, on interest in principle. Um, we're very in touch with, with our clients, both SME and, and top corporates, but I think... At the group level, we have this big push to help the SMEs. So we we just launched something called the Ayala Enterprise Circle, which is a group-wide effort to help the SMEs uh, bounce back uh, and build their businesses. And it's really driven by a specialized team uh, that we formed at, at Ayala Corp, the parent. We've taken one person from the BPI side, we've taken one person from the Globe side, we hired a third person from outside to coordinate efforts across the group to help them SME. So it's finding product for them, it's giving them advice, it's putting them in touch with a banker or an SME specialist at Globe to help them, or putting them in touch with Entrego for their logistics needs. Uh, we have, I think it's, we have a seminar every two weeks uh, where SME clients of both Globe, of uh, of uh, SME contractors of Manila Water, SME clients of BPI come in and listen to experts talk about you know anything relevant. So we had the seminar on banking facilities. We had the webinar on health insurance and how to take care of employees during this crisis. We gave them an update on, on what's really happening in this crisis. So we're very engaged with them. And what we want them to feel is that they can reach out to us, that there's this ability to talk to us. Because as a banker, as a former banker, right? What you want to do is to be able to talk to your clients and understand yes. what's happening, right? And yes. this is what I've always told my my SME clients and my consumer clients: if you have a problem, the worst thing you can do is hide from your banker, right? Yeah. Because if you hide from your banker, the banker has no choice but to come down hard. But yes. speak with your banker, work out a solution, because there's always a solution, right?
0: And, and maybe, I'm sure your bank is. Yeah, and I'm sure your bankers have gone through so many cycles in the past that their experience could also bring new angles uh, to help uh, your clients kind exactly. this 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 exactly,
1: mm-hmm. exactly. I, I, I know how it is to be to be have your back against the wall in a small yeah. business, right? Uh, and it's you know when when a, when a client is challenged, it's very hard for them to come and, and ask for help, but that's the best thing you can do. And that's what I've I've always told people who work with me as bankers, as the relationship managers, reach out to the client and lend a sympathetic ear because there is a solution to most of these
0: problems. TG, on the uh, subject of uh, SME, let me also kind of uh, ask you, uh, I recall reading back in uh, 2019, right, that uh, BPI actually made a statement about your plans to actually get more aggressive in the SME space. In fact, you had also set a target of kind of doubling your net income and also uh, uh, hitting 15% ROE, uh, I think it was by 2023 if I'm not mistaken. Now, of course, things have changed with the COVID, but is that goal still on the cards? And uh, how different will your strategy be compared to your closest competitor? No, that that, that
1: ambition is still there, right? Uh, That ambition is still there because When you look at the banking business, the spreads that you make from intermediating with the top tier corporates are hardly anything, right? No reason to lend to Ayala because Ayala will will get the best pricing everywhere. No no reason to lend to Shell, Shell gets the best pricing anyway. Uh, But an SME, a, a mid corporate, right? They don't have that much access to banks, right? And if you treat them well, They'll be loyal to you for the longest time. So the ambition, the ambition is still to grow that uh, the SME book, uh, and we have a whole group called the Business Bank that's focused on that. Uh, I think the ambition to grow the portfolio of consumer and SME to thirty percent. It used to be twenty percent. So going to thirty percent is still there. Um, realistically, I don't know if you can grow that to that level by 2023, given that 2020, and I would say probably, you know, the early part of 2021, are lost years, right? <laughs> but, but the ambition is still there and the direction and the strategy of the bank will still be on that.
0: And, uh, to, you know, to, to, to get you there, the question here is, uh, how will the products be different? Or what will you use to actually, you know, stand out from the competition in, in terms of uh, getting the SME clients to come through your doors?
1: Well, many many ways. Know. Obviously, the the basic product is is the working capital loan or the expansion loan, right? But you need to be with the client, uh, help him. What I've realized with SME lending is that for many of them, these are successful SMEs who had never used debt before right. to expand, right? Uh, and so it starts with the deposit relationship. And you need to work with the client and understand what their ambitions are and help them see that prudent depth actually helps them grow faster so they they need to be comfortable with that Uh, and so obviously pricing is very important for them uh, and bpi because of our reputation and our legacy we do have a very cheap cost fund so we can be very competitive on pricing right but then because a lot of these SMEs are also entrepreneurial driven, you need to give them a lot of tools to make the business as easier to run. Uh, and that's where you have to overlay our systems and our digital processes. You know, we're talking about uh, BizLink, which is uh, our platform for small, biz- small and large businesses to manage your account, to manage payments, to manage payroll. Uh, we talk about the integration of BizLink and Express Online. Express Online is the retail side, which is what... Alex and I use in our personal side. right? Mm-hmm. Bizlink is what the corporates would use. But to integrate those two for these for these entrepreneurs is very important. Right, and so you need to provide them these tools and show them that it makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, many of them will require help in let's say credit card services. Right, uh, many of them will will require help in in insurance. They've never thought of insurance, uh, not only for their for their physical goods, but it gets bigger as they need to ensure and provide healthcare facilities for their employees. And so we need to begin thinking about integrating all the services that VTIP provides and offer that to the client, especially the SME. Because SMEs are run by usually one person, (laughs) one entrepreneur, right? But that entrepreneur and her husband, because the entrepreneurs are usually women, right? And her husband helping, helping this business. Uh, and that's how you win.
2: That's how you win. Uh TG, just wanted to uh check still on BPI. Uh markets in general believe that uh, BPI's provisioning has been uh conservative. Uh, and uh will you trade off uh these obligations with the current BPI dividend policy?
1: Uh, no, I would suspect I, I would suspect uh, the BPI dividend policy is uh I'm speaking as a shareholder. It's sacred. <laughs> All right. Uh, the, the, the dividend of BPI hasn't been changed in many, many years. And, and that's a reflection because banking is a capital-hungry business, right? Uh, but but we do realize many of our shareholders, sorry, we have a lot of small shareholders who rely on the dividend. Right? I, I don't think they... They, they account for a substantial portion of our ownership, but in number they are a lot. Uh, so we recognize that and we've always said, uh, we've always thought that this dividend policy of, uh, I think it's 90 centavos a semester or 180, right? We're, we're just going to try to maintain that. Um, the, 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 you know, at the one board level, we were talking about our provisioning and you know, how we thought it would come out. And, uh, provisioning is something that's very subjective right uh, you need and, and to be objective about it, you need to set some guidelines internally so we look at our NPL ratio we look at NPL cover we want to make sure that NPL cover is always hundred percent or better right uh, we want to be proactive in, in provisioning we want to be uh, uh, very conservative in our ECL modeling right so that uh, we can provision well um, but you have to make a trade-off between provisioning and capital right? and, and luckily for, for BPI our capital ratios are, are you know, in excess of 15%. Uh, 15 percent it's great to hear 15 and change so uh, we have room uh, to provision aggressively if needed
0: okay It's great to hear. It's a very different uh, tactic uh, taken by Singapore banks. I mean, we even get the government support to actually cut these dividend dividend rates, and it didn't go very well with uh, with the capital market, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There has been a fair bit of press uh, around President Duterte and uh, Manila Water concessions, right? So, for those in the audience uh, who are less uh, familiar, President Duterte made and then apologized for comments made on on that concession, uh, which I'm sure you know it caught you you know, in both ways as well. If you could unwind the hands of time, T.J., what would AC have done differently to not even be in the crosshairs in the first place?
1: That's a tough question, Sanyo. (laughs) Uh, I think you have to take a step back and and, and see, you know, what caused this whole issue. And it it came to the fore, I think a year ago, last March, uh, March 2019, Uh, when the taps basically ran dry, right? Okay. And and they ran dry for the simple reason that uh, you had El Nino water levels drop down. uh, And because water pneumatics are very different from electricity, right? You need pressure to build up. And once it fell below a certain level, uh, you can't just turn on the the switch again and say, oh, flow more water from the dam and, and everything will be all right. It takes time for all the reservoirs to fill up again and fresh. Mm. Right? So, um, so that was really driven by a water shortage because uh, the government had built no new water supply. In fact, there's been no new water supply uh, resources since the 1990s. And the responsibility for new raw water supply is not Manila waters. In fact, it's very clear uh, that the government is supposed to supply the water and we just right. pressed it. So it's unfortunate uh, that that happened, um, and it's unfortunate that the reality is consumers blame whoever presents the bill, <laughs> okay. even though you're only you're only the agent. It's whoever presents the bill that gets blamed. It's like you know when you when you walk, when your airline flight gets canceled, you take it out on the the, the ticket agent who well, has nothing to do with it at all, right? But it's human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's human nature. Um, Maybe, you know, we could have handled that better, Uh, but unfortunately it put us right front and center. It brought our attention to the president. Uh, And then what really triggered the whole thing was when uh, we won the arbitration case in Singapore in early December last year. Mm. And that really brought things to the surface because the president was told, we lost the case in Singapore. Uh, If we could do it differently, Maybe we should have asked the arbitration court to delay the ruling. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but my my understanding is that the government was confident that they would they that they would get a ruling favorable to them, so they didn't want the ruling delayed. Uh, but to me, if there's anything you could wind back, that's it. You know, uh, maybe no ruling, uh, just postpone the ruling. Had COVID happened, you know, four months earlier, yeah. none of this crisis. Right? None of the <laughs> crisis, right? <laughs> uh, but that said, uh, we are where we are. Uh, we understand why the palace and why the government uh, feels that way, uh, and, and we certainly see it. Uh, we, you know, the, every, you know, to 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 negotiate well, you need to understand the viewpoint of who you're negotiating with. Sure, and we we see their point of view. Uh, there are informal discussions, but we continue to await uh, their proposal or their revised contract. And, Um, It's unfortunate that it's taken so long. The president did, you know, promise everyone that it would be given to us, take it or leave it, by January 6. And we're here in August, uh, still haven't seen a draft of it. But uh, informal discussions have taken place, feelers have been sent on both sides, Uh, and we're confident things are moving along and that we will come to some resolution. Uh, with the Republic on
2: this. Uh, TG, just wa- wanted to check with you with AC Energy and AC Infra. Uh, both of them are going through some uh, restructuring and the group's plans to make it a major pillar of AC. Uh, would it would it make business sense to apply even more stringent policies when AC Energy deals with uh, government projects, especially in other emerging markets? And what potentially may be these uh, new safeguards?
1: Yeah, we... You know, if anything, Alex, we have recognized how regulatory, actually, I don't even call it regulatory risk, I call it political risk, Uh, can come to the fore very quickly. Regulatory risk is manageable, right? Uh, Political risk, this is like out of the blue. (laughs) Yes. So we've recognized how political risk can really throw you off. and, And, you know, you've got to be very cognizant of that. When you begin to deal in businesses where you have to manage a government relationship or a political relationship. So, both domestically and internationally, uh, the guidelines are pretty clear. Understand the political risk, understand the regulatory risk. Uh, make sure you have partners who know the game as well as we do or even better than us. So, our partners in Vietnam, our partners in Myanmar, the partners, uh, the people we work with in India, they know this game. Right, and that's why we would never go into a country uh, without. We would never go into another country
0: without partners. To your point about uh, Myanmar, in that sense, uh, you know your investments in the Yoma Group—it's about two hundred forty million, which is by far the largest uh, Filipino venture in that uh, country. Looking at your green bond platform. Right. How does that complement the infrastructure business in these frontier markets? Uh, you know, Myanmar may be one, but I'm sure down the road you might be considering others within the CLMV region as well.
1: I, I think our green bond out of AC energy is, it shows our commitment to the renewable space. Mm. Right? Uh, certainly we want to keep it close to home first, um, and therefore we're very comfortable with the ASEAN region. Uh, we've gained a little comfort in the Australian, but it's a commitment uh, to the renewable space, uh, we are moving to divest ourselves out of, of the thermal assets that we have that you know were great as as a way to jumpstart the business and to learn the business. Yeah. Uh, but today the commitment is to to get up to five gigawatts of attributable capacity uh, in the next five years. And uh, the teams uh, we have two teams. We have a team that's working domestically to try to build the the Philippine portfolio. And we have a team that's all over the place in in the ASEAN region plus Australia to look for opportunities there. Uh, And very focused on on wind and solar, Uh, a little focused on geothermal, uh, but really wind and solar are the places
0: we're looking. Well, TG, we're going to move into the Q&A session right now. The first question that we see uh, on that list Uh, is on the globe uh, telecommunications uh, space. So the question here is essentially, you know, with President Duterte, again, you know, making a recent statement in the press that uh, they want the uh, incumbents to basically help, you know, speed up the stability of the, uh, uh, I guess, the Wi-Fi connectivity uh, issues. Do you see that as a near-term or do you see any near-term challenges in that? And how do you see the uh, challenger telecommunity, yeah. right? Yeah. Are they likely going to pose some threats uh, in your space?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, let, let me take it to two, two parts and right? Uh, the first part is the president uh, in his state of the nation address actually challenged uh, the two telcos, ourselves and, and our, our competitor to improve the services or else, right? Or else, right? Uh, and a lot of people took that, uh, and rightly so, they took it like the president was, again, threatening the telco space and, and the two incumbents. But actually, what's happened since is actually quite a blessing. And I don't know if many people realize it, uh, but our president, Ernest Ku asked for a, an audience with the president, which he got, uh, I think, two Thursdays ago. And it, it, it did hit the news. He, he spoke to the president. And it's a, it's a great exchange that the president actually quoted in his speech to the public, right? The president basically said, oh, Ernest Ku, president of Globe, came to me and told me about what they were trying to do. And I told him, Ernest, if you don't improve your service, I will hang you from your tower. <laughs> right? And Ernest, without batting an eyelash, said, Mr. Sorry." Ernest, without batting an eyelash, said mayor, because everyone calls him mayor. No one calls him Mr. President. <laughs> Ernest called him, mayor, you can't hang me from a tower because there are no towers. The LGUs won't allow us to build. Right? And the president just latched onto that and said, yes, Ernest is right. Ernest explained to the public in the, in the, in the televised conference, Ernest explained how to build 1,500 towers, he's got to apply for 5,000 towers. And each tower needs 30 applications and 30 forms and 30 licenses. So he told the president, think about it. To build 1,500, I have to do 15,000 permits. And so the president right then and there said, I ordered the LGUs. You have three days to approve permits. And he told the Department of Local Governments enforce this, or else I will put the mayors in jail. And I I kid you not, Tengel, the next day, the next day, one city, which is just outside the the National Capital Region, that hadn't allowed GLOBE to build a cell site since 2013. For seven years, zero cell site builds in this city called up Globe and said, please, submit all your papers now, because we cannot be in the president's crosshairs. Right? So things all overnight have turned very positive for permitting. Uh, and in fact, uh, they are now passing a law, uh, you know, this, the emergency law, Bayanihan II, Alex, uh, which is now in BICAM in Congress, will contain a provision that actually puts into law the president's directive that uh, for telecom bills, LGUs have seven days to approve or else they will be considered approved. That right. will be in the loan. So not only has the president spoken out, but
0: now it will be enshrined into the law.
1: Well, and that's what mean, I mean, you, you know, gotta engage. You gotta engage. It. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right. Do, do you, do you uh, have these engagement challenges? Um, you know, uh, maybe we just use the example of uh, uh, Yoma at this moment in, 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 in Myanmar. Uh, If, let's say, you know, one day you do decide to get into a telecommunications project with a search phone over there, uh, would some of your, you know, as we talked about earlier, GCash and some of these technologies that you have at Globe, can that, uh, is that also complementary to their, uh, if I understand, Anne has some kind of a partnership going on? Are there any synergies in that space? Yeah,
1: yeah, a lot. Uh, In in, in the Yoma group, uh, they had a company called Wave Money, which was the largest e-wallet. In, in Myanmar, um, but relative to Gcash, it's very small. Right? I think, they you know, very small. I don't even. I know the number, but I don't know if I can say it. But profitable. Believe they're not, saying it was profitable, because it was a remittance service rather than a P two P, right? Uh, and Wave Money just bought it. Sorry, uh, and Financial just bought into it. Uh, and obviously, they they asked us what we thought and how our partnership with and Financial went. And I just have all praise for, you know, and financial, the way their systems operate, their clarity of thinking of business models. I don't think GCash would be where it is today if it wasn't for and financial. Right. And so that's the kind of synergy we have with our, our friends in, in, in Yoma. Uh, there's a lot of collaboration. Uh, to be frank, you know, the results, uh, of late haven't been, uh, haven't been I guess up to what we had expected, so we're disappointed. Mm. Uh, so we are getting more engaged with them. Uh, myself, Paulo Borromeo, our head of strategy, we're getting very involved in what they're doing, working with them in terms of you know, business opportunities, uh, governance issues, uh, reports to us, just keeping Ayala more involved. Uh, and allowing us
0: to 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 have a louder voice than what we normally would uh, there 's a question on the utility space now that you have divested uh, your substantial voting shares in manila water uh, Ruzon is the party to, to Ruzon is essentially the majority shareholder right now. What is the long term plan uh, for uh, Ayala uh, regarding this particular investment
1: no let 's just let 's just be very clear right what what 's happened? is that uh, Mr. Razon, the group of Mr. Razon has been allowed to buy into Manila water. Uh, I think they'll take a 25% economic stake. Uh, but what we have done to, to solidify the cooperation between the Ayala Group and the Razon Group is we're assigning to them proxies so that they will have 51% of, of, uh, of the votes, but we will keep the economic benefit to that. So okay. we're, sort of, we're sort of tied at the hip, right? Uh, we need to work closely with him in terms of governance. The economics are, I think we have 38 and he'll have 25, right? So, so that's the way it looks. So we're, we're very closely tied at the hip. Uh, we remain committed to the business. Uh, clearly, Mr. Rizwan brings a lot of benefits to the business, not only his, his knowledge how to handle regulatory businesses, but also his international ability. Sorry, his ability to expand internationally, I mean, we I, I look at ict uh and, and see the kind of businesses they have built in many countries in in you know in port operations which are also very highly regulated and very successfully so you know I think uh that where he's got ports we should be able to get some water deals, maybe not in all but some of them right? okay. so so he should be able to you know the there the is one group and will be very I, I think, positive for Manila Water
0: in terms of even international expansion. Got it. Okay. Well, I'm mindful of the time, G. I'm, I'm just going to say the last question for you. And uh, if uh, there's a final message uh, uh, from you to our audience and to our clients, what would that message be?
1: I, I, I think what we have to realize is that this is a crisis that, you know, for many of us listening, I'm, I'm almost sure all of us, I never thought we would go through this, right? And I I think of my parents who had to live through a war, right? And this is probably as close as it gets uh, for for all of us of of our age. Uh, I I, I certainly thought I was going to retire fairly soon without having seen a, a crisis of this before. You know, 97 financial financial crisis, 2008. Those are nothing compared to this, right? Uh, and I, I think we have to realize that a lot of empathy must go into, into, in, into the system for us to lift out of this. Because if we act selfishly uh, for each our own good, then we're just stepping on each other and we're just going to think deeper into the mind. Uh, so we're, we all recognize we have to take each of us a little pain so that we can all recover quickly. So you know, when 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 people ask for in your personal capacities, when people ask for help, be extra generous. In your corporate capacity, uh, I think think of uh, your suppliers, think of your customers first uh, before thinking of yourself. Because without your customers, without your suppliers, you're 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 nowhere. Right? You're you're just gonna sink as well. And and I think that's the mindset change we have to make going forward. That there is pain. Uh, let's take the pain now because certainly this won't last forever humanity has lasted for 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 millennia millenniums and we will survive this and the economy will come back
0: but the idea is you need to survive you can only survive if you work with others well said. Thank you so much, TG. Well, we've come to the end of the uh, program and we hope that uh, everyone has benefited from the takeaways from a TG. So on behalf of Maybank Kiming, uh, we want to extend our heartfelt appreciation to TG uh, and also to you, our value clients, for your generous participation and for your business. So until we meet again, stay safe. Blessings to your loved ones. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all again next show. Thank you.